Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Achieving Christian Thought podcast. I'm your host, Brian. Hey, thanks for listening in. This is Robert. Hey, I'm Zach. Join us for each episode as we apply the gospel to dive into the inner workings of the Christian faith. Are you agnostic or atheist and want to understand Christianity better? Want to learn more about Jesus? Discuss the differences between the modern and early churches? Or maybe explore some of the Bible's most interesting characters? Then we hope you'll join us in Achieving Christian Thought. Okay, everybody, welcome back uh, to the Achieving Christian Thought podcast. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. This is what? Episode 13, I believe. Um, so we're just so. plugging right along here. Yeah. If you haven't heard from the other plugs from the previous uh, episodes, we do have a new Facebook page uh, that just launched. Um, please bear with us. Um, I know personally, I'm not really good at building Facebook pages, so I'm still kind of learning, but uh, you can visit us on Facebook by going to Achieving Christian Thought Podcast. There you can interact with us, you can send us a message, uh, leave a post. Um, uh, if any topics you want to learn more about, any questions you may have, uh, that new Facebook page is a great way to interact with us. So we hopefully will see you there as well. Um, but so yeah, Robert, Zach, uh, nice to talk to y'all again this evening. Uh, how are you guys and, uh, what do y'all have in store for us, uh, on this episode? I'm great. Um, so what we have in store for you is a small talk about, the early church, and we're going to talk about the situation they were in, they lived and worshipped, and what are the things that can actually learn today from them comparing uh, the modern church with the church that they had back then. I'm assuming you're talking about Acts. Uh, we'll be out of uh, the book of Acts uh, specifically. I know that deals a lot with the early church and kind of what they had to face and some of the struggles of forming a brand new uh, church, especially in those times. Yeah, um, I mean, one of the things that comes to my mind, um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, is the fact that you had a lot of, um, I won't say a lot, but you have opposition pretty quickly in the um, early church, whether it be uh, the uh, Sanhedrin who, uh, when, well, first of all, back up, you had uh, Jesus, of course, he... Uh, rose from the dead after the third day um and he uh basically spent time with his disciples and was talking about various things now we don't have recordings of what he taught disciples at this time necessarily but obviously it would be conducive and cohesive to what he's already taught it wouldn't be anything new anything um challenging necessarily in the sense of like doctrinally speaking it wouldn't be like oh by the way you know I'm this over here or whatever. It would be consistent with what he's already taught. Um, and, uh, and, and so you had uh, Peter and John and James, and, you know, obviously the uh, 11 disciples, because obviously Judas Iscariot hung himself, uh, which was a tragic end to uh, the betrayer. Um, but the 11 disciples from there um, began to, teach uh basically talk and 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 do miracles that was one thing that was uh, happened pretty quickly early on 
uh, in the temple complex, Peter and John were walking to the temple, and they see, uh, I believe it's a lame man, just, um, just you know, asking for um, alms, so to speak. And um, Peter's like, you know, I don't have coin, I don't have gold, but in the name of Jesus Christ, stand. Immediately this dude was healed. He was able to uh, stand and walk and, and give praise to God. And so people took notice of Peter and John really quick. And uh, the Sanhedrin took notice of John and Peter and brought them before them for this assembly of uh, leaders. The Sanhedrin was a group of the people that um, wanted Jesus put to death. Uh, and so uh, this is the kind of like the religious elite group of people, If for those of you who may not know who the Sanhedrin are. Just kind of a little brief synopsis. So you know, they ask questions of Peter and John, and and uh, basically you're like, okay, you're going to stop, you know, preaching Jesus, stop preaching this, and then Peter and and John basically say, ha, huh, do whatever you want, we're going to preach Jesus anyways. Um, and they ended up getting beaten for their testimony of um, by the uh, Sanhedrin or their, I guess, police force, not necessarily. Uh, people themselves, but they uh, were beaten for uh, their testimony. And um, like most of us today uh, in Christianity, like we go, we face a little bit of opposition. And we're like, you know, terrified and afraid. But these guys, they actually counted it joy whenever they got tipped um, uh, for it because they were actually standing the truth and and i think that in itself was a testimony really just i'm not like all into pain or anything like that so when someone is like going to beat me they would say okay no please don't do that <laughs> these these guys these were men who who'd walk with jesus talked with jesus ate with jesus slept in the same vicinity as he did and and then saw the resurrected lord um and so this was a game changer for them and so whenever uh the officials were like you need to stop preaching jesus they're like well you know what whether or not it's right to do it by your standards we're going to do it anyways because we're going to follow god's will and then and they they were uh punished for their faith and yet they stayed uh firm and they kept on preaching the word so to speak and so as the story continues, you actually have an apostle named Paul joining into the story. For the whole second half of Acts, Paul is the main focus of this, this uh, story in line because he's basically the apostle to the Gentiles the same way that Simon Peter was apostle to the Jewish nation. So this whole these concepts, these themes of persecution and faithfulness in the face of hardship continue because now not only are the apostles that you're reading about having to face persecution in their own backyard, but now you're reading about Paul and the people who helped him to minister. He's actually having to travel around the known world, constantly going into different cultures, different gods other than the God of the Bible. They're having their uh, a much harsher persecution on them because going into communities and cultures that have, haven't even been prepared for this this announcement of a Messiah because they haven't had the Old Testament. So just to kind of latch on to everything that's been said, Book of Acts, it's a story of 
faithfulness and God's working and God's presence in the face of something we could never really even imagine. To bridge that into the modern world, we don't actually experience that here. I mean, thank God, obviously, but uh, you hear about it in the third world. For those in the third world, that stuff is very, very real. The big difference between us and them is that our culture, and it's always a good thing, it's always a good thing to for faith in Christ to be legal, obviously, but the big difference between us and them is this is a this, I'm talking about ourselves in the 21st century this is a church that's gotten very, very comfortable. Whenever you have a church that gets comfortable, it goes the same way as Israel in the Old Testament. Whenever they got comfortable, they would sometimes lose focus on the things that mattered most. They would lose focus on what Jesus himself calls their first love in the book of Revelation. So when you look at the modern church, and I, I just mean the church that the world sees, the visible institution known as the church, all of its many denominations and forms, when you look at the modern church, it's an entirely different world from the world that the apostles actually had when they founded the faith by the Holy Spirit. You have a church on the run. You have a church constantly looking behind its back. Because it was in such danger, it was constantly having to rely on the God that they were preaching. The irony is that people were actually coming to faith in droves because of what the, they were seeing the people do not just in their miracles, but just the faithfulness that the people were displaying in their own lives. Now, in the modern, uh, in the modern church, you have a culture that has actually gone kind of flippant. It's become apathetic. We're not seeing that many baptisms unless someone jumps from one church to another, and that's a whole different ballgame from someone who's actually rescued for, uh, into salvation for the first time. Yet this the the church actually has so much many less demands. That's the paradox of the human condition right right here in the story is when you see a church that's on that has fire on its heels, a church where the members are being killed left and right, and you're seeing people actually join it in droves, then you turn around to this era and you're actually seeing a church that just has business as usual. You see a church that is so content and comfortable with itself, a church that has had a good grounding in society for so long, church has actually become the tradition. Any rebellion is actually trying to rebel against the gospel to go back to the pagan world that used to be. And yet people aren't coming. People have so much less to pay and risk, yet they're not coming at all. So one fascinating question, you know, why it, why would that happen? Why would that actually appeal more to human hearts. I would say because the, the power on display isn't here. And of course, an individual's faith is up to that individual. Someone can walk extremely closely to God while their neighbor's not. But I mean, the church in mass, and by in mass, I mean, if you sit back and look at the entire church as one large picture, the first century and in the 21st century, you see two totally different planes. In the first one, I mean, they they had to cling to their God. God blessed it. They were faithful. They lived out what they preached. It was so real to them that when they claimed that it was real to them, they actually meant it. That goes, I mean, you think about the implications of that sentence. Mm -hmm. That goes deeper than, you know, we have one episode for. But in the, in the Platon apathetic church, just see a church they're not really leaning on the god who's there they're leaning on the traditions that have always been sometimes you walk into a church building and you ask lifelong members why they do certain uh, rituals 
What does it mean to say that the Holy Spirit is your helper? I mean, basic stuff that you would expect a lifelong member to know, they don't know. They don't bother to learn that stuff. They just go, they sit down, they have their Sunday, and they leave. The outside world, when they look at that, the irony is even though there's less to pay, they're actually not seeing anything worth buying. Not seeing anything that they'd actually want to buy into. And I think that's our big disconnect from the ancient church between us and them is lost sight of the gospel that we proclaim. And I would even go so far as to say we focus more on, you know, um, uh, Paul in one of his letters, I believe it's First Corinthians, he talked about how the church in Corinth was divided because, you know, you had this section of people followed Peter. You had this group of people who followed Jesus. You had this people group of people who followed uh, Paul. You know, all these different cliques. And, and Paul was like, whoa, 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 whoa. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus is the one that's crucified. And these other people weren't crucified for your faith. And I think, to some extent, we've gotten caught, in, caught up in the spectacles of teachers. Um, and it's not to say that, you know, you shouldn't have a teacher that you listen to or you, that you, know, you shouldn't like or what have you. But it's like, it's at the same time, it's like you get caught up in that, that divisiveness. You know, you get caught up, well, well, I'm of this camp here of this denomination or I'm of this opinion of this will versus God's sovereignty. I mean, you know, that's a, it's a very heated topic. And, and the thing is, it's like, you can't agree to disagree on that, you know, like, you know, if you just, one person has one opinion and another group of people have another opinion, you know, we we talk it out. You know, instead, no, we just, we bash them as heretics. And it's like, you know, I mean, yes, have your ideas, have your beliefs, but at the same time, show mercy to your brothers and sisters in Christ who might have a difference of opinion on secondary issues. I feel like, because we focus so much on different teachers and we're so fragmented that honestly we kind of are just really immature in our in our walk and our growth and we just rely on these big name pastors these big name evangelists you know and and authors or what have you and then you know it's like what do those things mean? Like, whenever you see that Jesus died for you, and then it talks about the substitution, substitutionary atonement, you know, what does that mean? Can you even talk about that? Can you even define what that is? And and most people can't. But they know that they they like this particular pastor or this particular, and it's like there needs to be more substance to your faith. There needs to be more ground into what you believe and why you believe it. Again, it's not to say that you can't have your opinions. It doesn't say mean that you shouldn't, you know, follow different, you know, teachers necessarily. But at the same time, it's like, where's the focus? Is the focus on the gospel or is the focus on your preferences? And if the focus is on your preferences, you might want to check that at the door because you really, gospel is the, the thing that is the power that saves, not not my opinion, not my, um, not my wishes, not my wants preferences Jesus and Jesus alone I feel like a lot of times in the modern era we have we've gotten so complacent so comfortable with that that we can divide over anything whereas if we were actually in the first century dealing with someone who would literally come and cut your head off if 
after you said that you're a Christian in public, how much more unified those people would be, and they were at that time, versus us, you know, if that makes sense. Like, we have the all the luxuries in the world. We can have the Bible in different translations. I mean, there's people who have died just to have the Bible in the English language. I mean, there's been people burned at the stake because of that. I mean, and we have translations. You can, go, uh, you know, download an app and have all that stuff, all that information, commentaries, all that. And yet, what do we do with it? No. What do I mean? <laughs> Are, we have studies filled with books, and yet we, we can't even get outside our comfort zone. I'm talking myself here. Go talk to a neighbor or go talk to a friend because we're worried about what they might think. To add on to that, you know, I would say a part of that big problem with us, he was talking about the sort, the resources we have at our fingertips are things that the first century Christians would have gladly died just to have the chance to have. Amen. And we're so saturated with it. And it doesn't, honestly, this, this kind of, this principle really applies to almost everybody who has access to the internet now of, so if you want classic books, there are more books than you'll ever be able to click on in your lifetime. Uh, if you want, you know, movies, videos, you can stream them so easily. The same applies to the the resources of high-polished uh, Christian professors and Christian leaders to bring those things to our fingertips. We are actually so saturated in the modern world with Bible study material, that I would argue we actually treat Bible study material those resources kind of like furniture in your home. I mean, how many times have uh, you noticed that there's a, it's the, I don't know if there's a word for it, but it's a phenomenon that when you buy something for your home, a painting or a picture, maybe even a small chair that you put in a corner, it hangs up and after about six months to a year, it's like your brain consciously stops noticing that it's there. It's mm -hmm. just part of the background. You you always have that little eureka moment where you stop and look at it. It's like, oh, yeah, I, I've had this hanging up on the wall for the last three years. Just now remembering it and taking time to notice it. And so it's there so easily. I mean, anymore, you don't even have to get out of your pajamas to quote-unquote go to church to listen to a sermon from a renowned speaker. Yet the reason we don't apply that stuff one, because, I mean, honestly, the overwhelming aspect, sometimes people want to, but they don't really know where to begin. And the fact that you have more options instead of less options doesn't help some people. It's a lot easier to have one road instead of 57 highways if you want to get somewhere. Mm -hmm. On top of that, we've gotten so used to having it and taking it for granted that we always tend to think that if we get busy, and our definition of busy isn't very strict anymore. Mm -hmm. Your definition of busy could be just you don't feel like doing it. Going to Starbucks <laughs> instead or, yeah. you know, some other restaurant or, you know, <laughs> I, I'm going over here to do this yoga class or whether or not even yoga's on the option. On, I mean, you know, <laughs> you're, 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 you, can, you can easily get your agenda filled without things that actually fill your... Um, your spirituality, not that's probably terrible to say it like that, but I mean, you get what I'm saying. I mean, like, there's you can you can fill up your agenda and not actually do anything to fit to feed your soul. This is a good way to put it, maybe. Yeah, exactly. And we get so busy, we tell ourselves that those resources will be there tomorrow or the next day or next week. 
and it kind of reminds me of one of Jesus' parables. I didn't mean to go down this rabbit hole, but yes, I really think maybe, but <laughs> I really do think it applies to this. If I can delve for ten seconds, Jesus tells the story of a man who builds a barn. He invests years in trying to build this and be able to um, stack it up with enough resources where he can retire as soon as he's finished. And he says, okay, I'm finally ready. Uh, I can retire. I've I've built everything into this. And God knew, but he didn't, that that man had less than a 24 hours to live. So he'd invested so much in his retirement, and then he passed away just as soon as he was able to enjoy it. He had never invested in any of the things that he would have decided mattered when he looked back on it. That's our lives today. We live in the 21st century. Um, I'm holding a smartphone as I speak, and there is a Bible app on it that will give me just about pretty much any translation that's ever hit the market at the tap of a finger. Yet I can very easily go home and watch Netflix instead and tell myself it'll be there tomorrow when we don't really know the time that we have. So are we really prepared to leave the world, even though we live our lives in churches, to the Christians in the in the audience right now, we go. We spend our lives in churches, and yet we never really invest in the world beyond it. We're actually using it as a cushion to help ourselves feel better in the world of here and now, almost as if we will just take everything we've accumulated, all the time we've spent uh, in i just just idle entertainment, as if it will take it with us. I'm speaking to myself here because that's. The the nature of faith for us is a faith that caters to me the way Regal can cater to my need to watch a movie. Or uh, you look at the first century church, and their their whole method of faith was different. Their faith was one that you could literally go to see Jesus this afternoon if things went south. If one Roman soldier got word that you were meeting in the name of Christ, they could show up at any time, any week, take you away. Your life would just, the life you knew would just be cut off. So they spent every waking minute just knowing that the life that they were living could end. And we spend every waking minute, even though we disagree with it by mouth, we subconsciously kind of believe that we'll live forever here. Yeah. That's how comfortable we've gotten. But, uh, yeah. I mean, our, our sense of mortality, like we, it's like we, uh, I, I mean, maybe this is even something spiritual. Maybe, you know, we're, we can become complacent. But it's like anything that reminds us that uh, we're mortal, put that sucker in the back burner, put that away. Don't think about it. Don't don't even even bring that up. Don't talk about it. You know, it's like because it makes you uncomfortable to realize that, hey, you know, aside from Christianity being true and Jesus coming back, Every single person, including myself, is going to die, and and you know that's a you don't want to think about death, and you don't want to think about how things are going to be. You know, it's like push that away. Don't think about that. And, and I think thinking about you know God and and what does it mean to be in right standing with Him, and am I in right standing with Him, and hmm. and. uh how do I get in right standing with him? You know, all those kind of questions. It's like, oh, and I think it may be even something demonic there. It's like, no, don't think about that. You don't want to think about those things. You don't want to talk about those things because, one, it's uncomfortable. Two, it exposes your mortality to yourself that you don't want to believe. And three, uh, it's a risk. It's a risk in the sense of 
like us today, you know, we might have someone get mad at us because we're not tolerant, because we hold conservative views or we hold Christian views or or what have you. And then and someone's like, that's that's old school. You don't. That's not truth. That's not what's actual out anymore. You know, we need you need to put those beliefs to the side. And it's like, you know, I mean, and then obviously, I, I think a lot of times. Even though we may not actually do that in belief, we do it at least practically speaking. We do shut mm-hmm. up because it's 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 that uh, challenge, so to speak, that we don't want to deal with. Yep. And uh, moving on from the topic of uh, you know complacency in the twenty first century, because I didn't intend this to go down some rabbit hole. Of, yes, you beat did. him up, but yes, you did. Let's let's be, let's be it's easy. Well, I mean, you know, you look at the you look at the New Testament. I mean, they had hardly anything, and I mean, and even still in the the third world countries today, they have hardly anything. You know, and we are privileged to have multiple uh, change of clothes. We have vehicles. We have you know, money in our pocket that we can go down to a fast food restaurant and get food. I mean, there's third world countries that don't have that. And the first century certainly didn't have those things. I mean, and we we take it all for granted. Mm-hmm, we do. And so that that's definitely one, one big uh, reality that we have to overcome. It doesn't mean we have to be necessarily ashamed of the world we live in. Uh, people fought hard and long to get us to where we're at, which is always definitely a blessing. And uh, again, I'm speaking to myself, but you know, moving on to a more positive note, something we can learn from the from the Book of Acts and the first century church is just the fact that you know, is is this God, the one who led the apostles through this world at such a rickety time, the God who laid His hands on their ministries and blessed them as they preached about the Son? You know, is he still alive today? There are a lot of people who claim to believe, and they'll say that with their mouth, and yet they will live their lives. They'll subconsciously think, they will spend their money, they will make their plans as if he doesn't. So as we look at this life, you know, these aren't just idle fairy tales about some Jewish heroes that, you know, rose up and became Hercules and Zeus the or, and Hermes. These are actually... People's lives who were actually uh, who actually did live, and people who actually were able to touch the first world the way they were. So it's also a huge ray of hope for us in the 21st century. The modern American church, rest assured that despite all the setbacks that have happened uh, just throughout the last 2,000 years since Christ went up to heaven, despite all these things, we can rest assured that the same God who inspired all of these events that we read about in the Book of Acts. The, the the moment of the stoning of Stephen, the moment when they tried to stone Paul and he got up and walked away because it wasn't his time yet. Simon Peter went to prison and an angel showed up and shook the prison and led him back home. The times that they saw people lame and they helped them to walk. People were blind and they gave them sight just like Jesus had done in their lifetimes before. The same God, even though he might not be able to walk down the street and just touch people and make them walk like they could, same God is still alive. The same God is still blessing the church. We can take refuge in Him as long as we keep our eyes on Him and our hearts close to Him. Um, I actually have a buddy, not Zach, but hey, <laughs> he's got more than one friend. <laughs> whoa, 
but uh, <laughs> can't ha- I can't handle them. <laughs> Sorry, that way to flaunt your wealth. I mean, come on, no, I'm kidding. Uh, but yes, this this uh, friend's existence was not a joke. <laughs> he really did. Yes, it uh, is. Yes, it is. yes, but uh, he he's a believer, and uh, where we're where we re- are recording this uh, show. You know, it's in the part of the country that would you consider more of a Bible Belt area. But he actually took a trip to a city um, far, far away that uh, is out of the Bible Belt. And it was very, very unchurched. In fact, it's one of the most unchurched cities in the country. And where we are, I won't disclose that, but where we are here in this Bible Belt land, different denominations can be right down the street from each other and honestly there are times when the same denomination have one little point of contention contention and they will actually have splits they'll have church buildings on opposite ends of the street there'll be churches on every corner churches around here there everywhere where my friend went in that city you barely ever saw or heard of churches anywhere people were living their entire lives in that city city right now as i speak it's here in the country and they never have any access to outside the internet. They never have any direct access to believers. So he actually got the chance to speak to some uh, church pastors, religious leaders in the community. He was just curious. He asked them in your city. Uh, he said, "Where I'm from, it's everything I just described: bicker, bicker, you know, split up churches everywhere." Mm-hmm. He said, "Here in this city, how do you handle the denominational divide?" And the man pastor of one of the churches he just said we don't he said we have our different opinions but we all stick together we actually try to downplay the denominations and um, my friend quoted this to me but he actually said there we are here in this city there are so few of us we have got to stick together and wow. even if yeah and no matter where you live in the country if your heart is right if the way you see that is correct it doesn't have to be that way you can live like that wherever you are. If you have running water and electricity in your homes, you can thank God for it, be generous with it, see the same God move if you're willing to make disciples with your life. That is the message that, you know, really shines out of the book of Acts because it's very common to compare the the ancient ways with the modern ways and to to pour woe on the apathy that we're feeling as a country, you know, large scale. Even the even Israel, every time they weren't being directly harassed by some foreign king, were falling into the same apathy, and they never had running uh, lights and electricity and running water. Yet that was the human nature behind it all. So you're either falling away from him or you're running to him, no matter what kind of world you're living in. No matter, you know, the, the apostles never held a smartphone. They never were able to travel anywhere by GPS. Yet we're both human. I and the Apostle Paul and Simon Peter and Zach, we're all human, so we all share the same condition. And because of Christ, we all share the same opportunity. So just reading the stories, it's not just about beating ourselves up for being complacent in America. It's about inspiring ourselves to to look at these stories and remember who uh, was behind every last one of those events. And and finding that encouragement, um, you know, because there's the other side of the spectrum, is the um, is you know the past that you might have, or some of us right here, you know, I didn't grow up in a in a Christian home, 
And uh, so I didn't have a lot of familiarity with Christianity or, or what it truly meant, um, things of that nature. And so I delved into, into witchcraft and, and various other uh, ideas and beliefs out there. And, and, um, and it's really easy to get caught up in, in like the past and, and get caught up in the ruts that you once believed in. And, you know, like, you know, see God move in your life and, and you're like, well, you know, that I can never, I can never do that. I can never be that. I can never you know, be the type of person to share my faith or what have you. And, and, and here's, in the book of Acts is a, a phenomenal, 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 phenomenal example of someone who had a past as a guy named Paul. And, and you know, Robert talked about Paul. I mean, this goes for my uh, my uh, brothers and sisters out there who might be kicking the the tires of the faith, or or maybe you know maybe they do believe and and they're just kind of struggling with who they are or what they've done in the past. Um, and this is an encouragement from the Book of Acts. I mean, there's a cat named uh, Paul. I was saying, and he presided over Christians being killed. This is like the early. This is like within the first ten years. Uh, after after um, Jesus was raised from the dead and and went up to heaven and all that, you know, the Christian movement you know continued. And Paul came along and he's like, you know what, I want to persecute these. I I, I don't believe that this God that they're proclaiming is the true God. They're insulting God, or you know, and so this Jesus who they're preaching, I want to stamp out their beliefs. This is Paul's thinking. So he heavily persecuted the church. He was going on his way to Damascus, get orders to put people in chains and to arrest them and, and to put them in prison. And he had an encounter with God. God literally came and spoke to him and and basically blinded him so that he could then lie not on himself but on God. So this was a cat that killed people whether it was directly or through the means of using other people to do it, what have you, this guy had people killed, uh, maybe even signed their certificate, maybe even picked up the stone and stoned people, what have you. But then God came along and changed this dude's story to the point where, I mean, if the Apostle Paul, that's what he became. He became the Apostle to the Gentiles. If he hadn't done what he did, like as in as far as like remained obedient to what God called him to do, just went out and stepped out in faith and and just did what he said to do, what God called him to do, and we wouldn't have half the New Testament. I mean, you look at First, Second Corinthians, Romans, Ephesians, Galatians, Colossians. All those letters were written by Paul. Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and and the Book of Acts, you know, those were you know influenced by Paul. Luke followed Paul. I mean, if that if 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 you feel like that your past is stopping you from going forward to do what God called you to do, man, take that to heart. Take that as encouragement, man, and run for Jesus as hard as you can because I mean. All the things that you've done, even if you have in your past somehow 
led to somebody's death, you know, and 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 God has called you out of that. You have a future, and you could do so much. And if you just walked in obedience with God, and He would just bless you. And and I mean, I'm not to say that you're gonna have like um it all easy, but at the same time, I mean, you have no idea of what influence that you could have if you just walked in faith and did what God told you to do, like Paul did. And there's another example of encouragement in the in the New Testament, in the book of Acts. I mean, just do it, man, and do it for the glory of the Lord. Good. Well, I was just um, kind of comparing. When you look at the early church and you look at how oppressive the environment was for the early church and how they exploded, it's interesting to kind of juxtapose that with um, today. I did a cursory Google search just now um, looking at some of the areas where Christianity is growing the fastest. And while different sites uh, state, you know, different places as the fastest, there seemed to be a trend. It looks like Saudi Arabia. It looks like Iran. It looks like Iraq. It looks like some of the Northern African countries. Um, believe it or not, I saw some articles that was saying the Christian church in China is growing um, very rapidly. It looks like where Christianity is exploding is in these kind of highly oppressive countries that are run by dictatorships or where they don't have religious freedoms that we would have here. And that kind of mirrors, um, that kind of mirrors what the early church would have gone through um, with that. So it, it, the fact that in America, um, I don't know if if we're, well, to use your term that you used earlier, Robert, whether we're just complacent or whether the church is kind of stagnating, I don't know. But um, it's almost like, does it seem to be a trend that you almost need that oppression in order to fully grow as a church? Yeah, I would say there's definitely a part that... Uh... Uh, God definitely uses this lack of uh, comfort, this lack of complacency in a culture in order to bring people mm -hmm. to him. Now, so there are some psychologists who don't believe that they actually try to say that Christianity as a faith system, it's kind of a crutch. It's a psychological pillow that people use, use so that, you know, the fall doesn't hurt as much. And, you know, things by chance don't go correctly, but... I would say that they don't really look at it the right way. Instead of saying that it's a psychological crutch, the best way to really see Christianity in a time of need is that the reality of a fallen world is always there, no matter how comfortable you are. But uh, It was C.S. Lewis who once said that pain is the alarm clock of the world waking you up to the truths that are around you that are hard to face. So I would say it's those countries that do not have uh, you know casual trips to McDonald's as an option. Those are the countries where... It's not that they are psychologically clinging to something that's available. It's not some kind of, you know, non non uh, over the counter pill or something. the tr The truth of Christianity is that those are the people who live in those worlds, and they are more awake to reality than we are. 
actually sleeping in this kind of wonderland where we convince ourselves to the point where we don't really take our own mortality seriously. We don't really take the human condition seriously enough because we've just become so e- it's it's so easy to please us in this world that we that we've mm-hmm. surrounded ourselves mm-hmm. with. These are the countries where you're seeing this explosion. Those are the countries where, you know, since they don't have those distractions, they actually have faced those hard questions before we do. And yet the sad reality is the people who are in those countries and, you know, coming to faith in such big droves, those are the ones that are going to have to face the same exact judgment as us. We will face the exact same judgment, regardless of whether God ever pulls the rug out from under our nation and, puts us through any kind of severe hardship to wake us up and give us revival. He could, mm-hmm. might do it after our lifetimes, but you know, even if he doesn't, we will still have to face the same judgment. We've just constantly been pampered and cushed until the moment that judgment comes, and then all of a sudden, you know, not only do you realize you subconsciously kind of tried to avoid the the topic of death until it was too late, but never gave any serious thought to whether you know we there was any meaning to human life you just went along with business the way it was and it was never that that much that difficult for anybody um i once uh got a little bit of backlash for this but at my very first church i was an intern and i was actually uh teaching a message that i chose from habakkuk if, if no one's ever read the book, it, the whole thing is just a, a conversation between a man named Habakkuk and God. And there's a lot of soul searching on Habakkuk's part. And he's asking God why he's allowing, you know, so much carnage, turmoil in the nation. You know, he was an Israelite. He saw Israel falling away from God. He didn't really see a way out because the culture there was getting complacent. They were turning away from him. And God gave him an answer, and he didn't like the answer at all. He said, I'm actually raising a big army uh, out in the east that's going to come down and trample your people. So God's idea of comfort in this is, don't worry, when the people are trampled, there will be lots of revival. (laughs) And the back, it's like, I don't know about that. (laughs) And, you know, he thought that, you know, we could go to a Billy Graham tent. And, you know, everyone and their cousin, Miley Cyrus, Leonardo DiCaprio, would get radically saved. And, and that's not mm-hmm. human nature. As long as human beings have free will, it's going to keep going until God finally decides to pull a plug. And he said, and, and God is saying through Habakkuk to us that if you really want revival, you've got to really want it. Are you willing to pay the price for it? And the answer for most of us, including myself, is no. I mean, I really would not want to forfeit the first world if that meant revival. That's not a good thing in my heart, but that's the truth. Yeah, and and I and I would say just kind of piggyback off of Robert. You know, it's like about all these resources that um, sometimes it, like it, it it adds to the clutter. Whereas you know, like if you were in a a, a world where or a country where that wasn't an option. And the option was the Bible, and you had to hide it. You had to either, you know, like, I mean, I think I remember hearing of someone memorizing an entire letter of Ephesians within, like, a couple hours. Because, and the reason why they did it was the fear of them being caught with a Bible. So they wanted to learn it, and they wanted to memorize it as much as they could, as quickly as possible, 
so that even if they physically lost the physical Bible, like someone comes along and steals it and they throw them in jail because they're a Christian, they still have it in their heart. They still have it in their mind, and they can read that scripture in their mind or, or write it out on toilet paper or something like that. You know, I feel like in that, that I guess, the, the uh, luxury we have, you know, don't have that to worry we don't have to worry about that but same time i think that's why it grows so fast one because you have sort of a narrow narrowing of resources that's available because the, you, you have the bible and that's if you're lucky that's all you get mm-hmm. you, know, you don't you don't have the the sermons you don't have the podcasts you don't have all these things which are good not necessarily bad but at the same time it's like it's less distractions, and it's like you—you, you, it's like now you. The only way you grow spiritually is if you read the word and you fellowship with other believers and you open yourself up to these other believers. That's that's something I think we in the first uh, world struggle with is opening up to other people. I mean, you know, I I work with guys in a in a in a group, and it's like. Sometimes it's like pulling teeth just to get people to talk about. I mean, and I get not people don't want to talk about their feelings necessarily, but it's like talk about your struggles because you never know another brother might have an answer for you or might need see you in this light so that he realizes that you struggle with things too, and that and that as together you you find someone like a. a uh, a mentor, so to speak, that could help you through those things. I feel like the first uh, world, we don't have that as an option because we're not willing to open ourselves up to people. We're not willing to uh, pour ourselves into others. And and I mean, that's true for myself. It's like, I, I don't want to open up. I don't want to talk to people. I mean, I'm naturally an introvert, <laughs> and God's called me to help with a podcast, and and I'm you know leading a group of guys, and I go to a huge uh, church, uh, a church that has a big population in it, and it's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> really, really, I am antisocial. This is the guy who doesn't like people, and yet God keeps calling me to these things, and it's like, you never know, it's like if you are willing to invest in people. And to do that, I feel like that's probably two of the hindrances that take place in these other worlds. Is and your family might betray you, but these brothers in Christ—they're your brothers. They're yes. your true family, you know. And and you can break bread with these other believers. There is a level of of brotherhood and sisterhood you don't have even with your own family. Whereas in the in this world that we have now, it's like in, in in the first world, we don't have that because we're not willing to open up to each other. Oh, and God loves to drag people out of their comfort zone. Um, that's <laughs> uh, that I think is one of his favorite things. Um, uh, let me ask you, let me ask you this, and not meaning to put either of you on the spot because I know uh, we didn't really prepare to talk about this, but. Yeah. If someone who is new to the faith or kind of kicking the tires of the Christian faith, um, let's say that they dig into Acts and they really start reading Acts and exploring the early church, they're going to see a lot of 
you know, the apostles that are doing all these things, like um, when when the Holy Spirit first washes down over the apostles, um, they had the ability to speak in every language. So they could naturally communicate the gospel to all these different groups. And you had the apostles being able to heal people, um, drive out demons. You had all of these miraculous things that were happening in the early church to really get people on board and when people compare that to the current church and the the modern church we have today um the reason why you know because the holy spirit is the holy spirit and it resides in all christians back then and and now um us is it just because um is it because their faith was stronger uh, that they had these abilities or was it that God specifically appointed them to have these abilities? Like, I guess I don't want people reading Acts and looking at some of these miraculous works that the apostles did and wondering, you know, how is that a level that, you know, we can strive for as far as like spreading the word and, and kind of being on that level. If that makes yeah, sense. I yeah, it makes sense. And I would say, well, God could still do miraculous things. And I think I think he is still doing miraculous things that we don't see on this side of of heaven, so to speak, like mm-hmm. you know, God delivering people from demons and stuff like that. Um we we may not see that directly. The reason why we may not see that directly is because one thing that you have to keep in mind in our world today we have full revelation of God's word in other words in the new te- I mean in the in the first century depending on what time period you're talking about if you're talking about within the first 20 years of Christianity um, when Paul and Barnabas and and Silas were going out and they're sharing their faith and they're talking about Jesus a lot of them, a lot of these people who were Jewish in the beginning knew the Old Testament, but there was no New Testament. So how did God show his approval for these people that were talking and preaching about this new figure, this Messiah? And one of the ways that God was showing and testifying to the people of God, his message was through miracles. Because they didn't have the scriptures in that day and time. That makes sense. They didn't have the New Testament. Um, because it hadn't been written yet. Um, or at least elements of it hadn't been written yet. Maybe you could argue that the Gospels were written, but maybe those portions of, of some of the, the letters to the early churches that hadn't been written yet. Um, and so for a person to come up, you know, to like, let's go into a synagogue and say, hey, look, Jesus is Lord. That was easy, and maybe even Paul, because he mentions there's some instances in Scripture in the in the uh, book of Acts of how he would reason with people according to the Scriptures. Then, whenever he heals a blind man, or you know a lame man, or what have you, that just adds more credibility to his message. It's like God's stamp of approval, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And and I think that is one of the reasons why. Saw such miraculous events going on in those days and those times. Not to say those things aren't still happening here today. 
I mean, but we may not see it because we don't need to see it. We don't need to see you know, mm-hmm. this person get delivered from demons because we have the full revelation of God. And it's not elevating uh, a person or a pastor. It's uh, elevating the gospel. And, and that's to be the focus, And and if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Robert, do you have anything you'd like to add with that? Zach did a phenomenal job with it. Um, one thing I would add would just, and it's in a way, it, it, I mean, it's directly overlapping with everything that's been said. Was you know, when you look at the story of the Bible, and I'm not saying it's just a story at all. I believe it all really happened, but narrative that you know plays through your mind as you see history unfold with this. Everything unfolds in epics. That's a uh, Basically, small snippets of history in which God deals differently with different people at different times to reach the one overall goal. He does not require us to kill lamb and oxen today because Israel was in a different epic during the Old Testament. But then you see the epic of the early New Testament, and the, the goal of the signs and wonders was simply to break new ground. Somewhere where the name of Jesus had never been planted before. There were no believers except for the outsiders who had just come into town. This is, you know, God signaling to these people who are willing to stop and pay attention. He, you know, something divine has touched this town. What, what's the message of these apostles? That was their opportunity to tell them there is only one God. This is the God who sent me. He, I'm going to overcome the power of these pagan gods. I'm going to overcome the power of these sorcerers in your town. I'm going to make your hair stand on end and give you something some, something to think about. Mm-hmm. I would argue that the reason it stopped working today is the exact same spirit that indwells us is just choosing to display himself publicly in different ways. What well, that's the 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 beauty of the gospel. It says, you know, the the real power of a uh, you know the church in the world isn't the the church's ability um, to do spooky X Men feats. It's the just the simple fact that God has made His presence among them. God is here, and so even if we can't speak in tongues the way they did, if we can't raise the dead the way they did, or make help the lame people to walk the way they did same God is here among us because of them. Mm-hmm. I would argue that our presence here, when all the other ancient religions are gone, and I mean, by that I mean there, you will not see a serious worshiper um, of Zeus unless somebody is intentionally trying to bring the old back in vogue. It's almost like a, almost kind of like a, a mock worship of Zeus. They're more into Greek culture than they actually believe that Zeus is up there. Yet we are here worshiping the God of the Bible, and there are people genuinely convinced that he is still here. It's the only quote-unquote ancient religion that has stood the test of time, and I would say that our presence here, um, not just in this country, but every country around the planet, we, our existence is the, sign and, uh, the, the signs and wonders of today. It's not raising the lame, it's just the fact that we have not gone anywhere. And, uh, you know, Israel is still on the map. The church is still there where it counts. The people who truly believe, even in places where it's illegal to gather, they're still gathering, you know, the best they can, still sincerely believing in him and calling on his name. The presence of that God among us are the signs and wonders of today. 
because by all accounts, we should be gone. I mean, people mm -hmm. far more powerful mm -hmm. than any politician we can name today done everything in his power to crush us over and over and over, and we just walk away from it. Take, I mean, we take the punches, um, the, you know, we do, go through the pain, we deal with it, and the church grows because of it. And the more they try to, I'm being generic with they, the more they try to stamp us out, the, you know, the quicker we in our boots and remain. Um, there was a church father who wrote this, and I don't know who, but someone said that, you know, it was the blood of the martyrs that watered the seed that turned into the plant that we call the church. And so, I mean, we are literally founded on death, not founded on these incredible stories about, you know, a Hercules who could lift mountains. We're founded on the deaths of real people. We're so convinced and so sincere that they are willing to give their lives so that we could find ours so many centuries later. Egypt, brother. That's, that's incredible. Um, and definitely, uh, like I said at the beginning of the uh, episode, um, if you want to engage with us more on this particular topic, if you have questions, uh, comments, definitely visit our uh, new Facebook page, Achieving Christian Thought Podcast. And uh, yeah, thank you, Robert. Thank you, Zach. This has been a very fun episode. Um, I know I always learn a lot uh, when we get together um, and have these uh, talks. All right. Well, hey, guys, uh, thank you so much. Uh, this was great. I really appreciate getting to talk to you guys. It's fun. Have a good evening and have a good week. And uh, I'll talk to you guys soon. All right. Man, thanks. Ya.